0: So the origins of Christmas, the word Christmas, as Pastor Michael mentioned, um, some would say the word originally means Christ-sent, but we have come to know it as the Christ Mass. And of course, if you, how many former Catholics do we have in here? I see, a bunch. So you'll understand that word right off the bat, and we're going to talk more about that later, but um, the word that we use for Christmas came from that idea of a Christ Mass. So we're going to answer a bunch of questions tonight. Uh, several nights, and if you uh, saw it in the app, you have all those uh, questions there for you, and we're going to just get through those questions tonight, and we're going to start with number one, and that is, when was Jesus born? What year and what date was Jesus born, and do we have the answer to that? And so, if I was to give you a simple answer, I would say, we do not know with absolute certainty the date of Jesus' birth, but we do know a great deal about the time period in which he was incarnated. So let's start with, what do we know about the year? Well, after the Roman Empire became Christianized, uh, an attempt was made to date the events before and after the birth of Christ. And our current calendars, in spite of evolutionists' attempt to change those, you guys know that, right? But our current calendars, we use the terms uh, BC, meaning before Christ, And A.D., which I think a lot of you probably learned it meant after death, but that's not actually true. It just means A.D. is the year of our Lord. So when we date something, if we were to date it formally the way it was for years, we would say in the year of our Lord. Um, The evolutionists, of course, wanted to change that form of dating because they didn't want to be responsible to the year of the Lord. Well, we know another thing from uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 1. We know that it was during the reign of Caesar Augustus. Now, that was a long period of time, so that doesn't narrow it down too much, but we do know it was during that period of time. We also know that Herod the Great was alive when Jesus was born. And how do we know that? Well, it was Herod, if you remember, who sent the Magi out to find out where Jesus was was born in Matthew 2.7. He kind of tried to trick them, if you remember that. He wanted to, to find out where Jesus was born, and the Magi had come, so he visited with them, he sent them out, and he said, you know, um, come on back and see me here. And he just wanted information. That same Herod in Matthew 2.16, of course we know, sent his soldiers to kill the firstborn males up to two years old. And that, that little information there, up to two years old, is important As we try to discover the actual year that Jesus was born. Now, we do have one um, pretty significant problem here, and that problem is that Herod the Great, according to almost every scholar, died BC. What? So, how could Jesus have been born BC? That would mean he was born before Christ, as we know it. How did that happen? How can it happen? Well, I think you'll you'll find out that it did. And I have some good information uh, from a book by Don Stewart. And Don Stewart spends his life studying these kinds of things. And in his book, it's called Did Jesus Exist? It's a great book. It answers tons and tons of questions. I really highly recommend it um, to you. But in his book, he says Andrew Steinman, who, who has written a monumental work on biblical chronology. That's his area of expertise and study, he concluded the following about the birth of Jesus after examining all the relevant evidence. Since we've now established that Herod died early in 1 B.C., after January 10th, but before Passover, which would be about April 8th, we can confirm that Jesus was born no earlier than mid-year 3 B.C. and no later than the end of 2 B.C., So given the events surrounding Jesus' birth, we can surmise that at least a few months passed between Jesus' birth and Herod's death. What are some of those things? Well, we have the arrival of the Magi in Jerusalem, uh, and we know that that was after Jesus' birth. Did we have that nativity picture up there? Flash that up there again there. Um, This is from the movie here. Isn't that a great picture? But one thing, I, I, I picked that picture purposely because you see the shepherds there, but you don't see the Magi there. Now, of course, in the movie, the Magi do show up on that night. That's inaccurate. The Magi came later. It says they came and Jesus was living in a home at that particular time. So Herod waited for some time for the Magi to return before ordering the execution. In other words, he didn't get the information that he wanted um, so in Matthew 2.16, we see that he ordered the execution of all these um, young boys. Now, the Magi first observed the star no earlier than about 4 B.C. Joseph and Mary's flight to Egypt with Jesus when he was still an infant was shortly after the visit of the Magi. You'll find that in Matthew 2.13-15. And it should probably be dated about mid-2 B.C. and no later than early 1 BC. Now, so if this is the case, then Jesus had to have been born B.C. So how could he be born before himself? Well, of course, um, that's kind of a silly statement in a way. But how did that happen? How did it happen that he was born still in B.C.? Well, the problem is that uh, it all in calculation here. It seems... Um, that, that Herod died only 751 years after Rome's founding, but Dionysius, when he was putting this together, dated the birth of Christ as 753, uh, 753 years from the founding of Rome. So there's a two-year discrepancy. It's just a calculation error. Remember, it's not an error from the Bible. It's an error by a, a, a monk named Dionysius um, who came up with that. So Herod was still alive after Jesus was born, and we just seem to have this error of about two years um, in his calculation. In a, in a sense, to, to this day, our, you know we never corrected that, and we could have. We could have corrected it and corrected the dates, and then Jesus wouldn't have been born B.C. But as it was, and as we look at the life of Jesus, we kind of think of the fact that as we're looking at the calendar, it was probably... Um, 3 or 2 B.C. that Jesus was actually born. Okay, so that's the year. What next? Well, what do we know about the actual date? How did we come up with December 25th? Now, once again here, we want to present this very honestly, as honestly as we can, and trust me here, I I, I told my wife my eyes are bulging from the amount of research that I, I looked up on this because... Um, it's pretty fascinating, really. So how did we get this date, December 25th? And the simple answer is we don't know for absolute certainty how the date came. We have several good, strong ideas on how it came. And I will just tell you that for a good deal of my Christian life, I believe that it was stolen from the pagan uh, celebration of Saturnalia. That was kind of the, the going philosophy. And How did that all happen? Well... It started a long time ago, but I would say, in the and I'm older than many people in here, so when I was growing up as a kid, nobody ever talked about that. Nobody ever cared about it. It was December 25th. That was it. That's the day we celebrate, and that was it. But as people began to really get into the Bible in the 60s and 70s, and some pastors heard this information, they wanted to be honest, and they looked at some evidence, and they said, yeah, you know, it kind of does appear we took this from Saturnalia. And I grew up Uh, in the church, at least, from uh, teenage years on, um, hearing that it had been stolen from this pagan holiday. And I have to say that once I heard that, it really kind of destroyed a lot of the joy I had every Christmas. Well, guess what? Tonight, we're going to send the Grinch back where he came from. Again, from Don Stewart's book, There is compelling evidence that Christians celebrated December 25th as the date of Jesus' birth before the pagans actually adopted this date. Now, you're going to have to really hang with me on here um, because I'm going to present a bunch of stuff here to you. So if that's the case, then this would mean that the Romans actually used December 25th to counteract the Christian celebration of the birth of Christ. So it's a pretty huge thing. Well, let's start out. A historian named Joseph Kelly, and I asked Joe if he was related to him, because, you know, after all, Joe is kind of a historian as well, but he doesn't think so. But uh, Joseph Kelly says that the Roman emperor Aurelian instituted the cult of Saul Invictus, which is, means the unconquered son, in 274 AD, in 274 AD. That's important. He chose December 25th because it is the day of the winter solstice. And so he decided he was going to make that uh, the birthday of this pagan god. So it became party time in Rome. They were going to celebrate the birth of this pagan god. um, And it was on December 25th, Saul Invictus, the unconquered son. Now, here's why so many people believe that the church stole this date from this pagan celebration. It was actually in 336 AD that the church at Rome proclaimed December 25th and what it was called was Natalis Christi or Natal Day of Christ. So at first glance, you might think, oh, okay, well, the pagan holiday came first. But it's important to note, very important to note here, that this document doesn't try to justify or explain the date that they picked. Now, if you were going to start something new, wouldn't you have some justification? And especially in the Roman church, um, you know, they're pretty good at, at putting down the reasons why they believe what they believe, but there was no attachment to this, nothing explaining that this was a date. Why is that? The reason is because it would be, had been celebrated for much longer than that already. There was no need to, for explanation. It was just a declaration that that is the day uh, that we have chosen to celebrate. So it had already been practiced prior to 336. So the question becomes, I almost feel like, have you guys ever seen Mysteries at the Museum? Anybody ever see that? Oh, it's great. It's on the Travel Channel. If you don't have it, you should get it. And the guy always, you know, at the end of it, you know, before the break has this, this thing about, you know, how do we solve this mystery? Um, well, if he was saying this, he would, ask, he would say something like this. Was this actually a propaganda war against the pagan holiday proclaimed by Aurelian? So let's find out the answer to this mystery. So important question, if this is true, how long before this 336 date had this been accepted as the date of the birth of Christ? Well, here's some information on that. Sextus Julius Africanus... He was a Christian author. He wrote during the first half of the third century, and he had already proposed the date of December 25th of the date of Christ's birth. So Aurelian's opponents might have plausibly reasoned if the date had already existed in Christian circles, why not use it against the imperial cult of the sun and thus the proclamation? Now, the second piece of evidence for a third century propaganda struggle is a work of art, and it's this work of art that you're going to see right up here on the screen here. I hope that you can see that well enough to see what it, what it is. Um, and this mosaic is on the ceiling of a tomb of the family of Julie, and it's actually now preserved in the necropolis, which, by the way, is the means uh, in Greek, the city of the dead, under St. Peter's Basilica in Rome, it's still there. Isn't that amazing? It's still there. So as you see this mosaic here, um, you can see that it portrays Christ driving a chariot through the heavens just the way the pagan sun god Helios did. And Jesus, like the god, has rays of light. You can see those emanating from his head. And they date back to the late third century, the very time when Aurelian was promoting the cult of Saul Invictus, the unconquered son. So significantly, this is the only ancient portrayal of Christ as the son. Historians find it impossible to believe that the portrayal was just coincidentally produced in the city of Rome at the very time when the pagans were promoting the cult of their sun god. So we see good evidence that what has been taught in recent years that Christians stole the date of December 25th from the pagan holiday of Saturnalia may have been the exact opposite. And that this propaganda war took place because the Romans were actually trying to supersede a celebration of Christ's birth that had already been happening. Now there's more support to this. The Encyclopedia Britannica notes this. December 21st or 25th was the first identified date of Jesus' birth by Sextus Julius Africanus in the year 221, 221, by a priori reasoning that identified the spring equinox of the day of Jesus' conception as March 25th. So we begin to see, okay, if we didn't steal it, from the winter solstice, where did it come up with? Where did we get that date? Well, there was tradition at the time that the day of uh, Jesus's conception by the Holy Spirit was March 25th. Calculate out, March 25th, December 25th, how many months do you have? Class? Nine months. Okay. So, the major reasoning that we have of December 25th for a date is because the belief that Mary's conception was on March 25th. In addition, the Oxford Companion to Christian Thought remarks on the uncertainty about the order of precedence between the celebrations of the birthday of the unconquered son and the birthday of Jesus, stating that the hypothesis that December 25 was chosen for celebrating the birth of Jesus on the basis of the belief that his conception occurred on March 25th. And because of that, it potentially establishes the December 25th date as a Christian festival before Aurelian's decree. Now, there's some other theories as as well, one less known. And and this theory is that the traditional dating of Jesus' birth actually lies in the date of his death. Um, kind of interesting. We don't have as much information on the date of Jesus's birth, but we have a lot more information on the date of Jesus's death. And I'm going to explain that in a little while while that, why that probably, probably is. So around AD 200, Tertullian reported that the calculation of the 14th of Nisan is the day that Jesus was crucified according to the gospel of John. In the year he died, uh, that equivalent date, interestingly enough, in the Roman calendar is March 25th. It's March 25th in the Roman calendar. And of course, again, nine months before December 25th. It was later recognized as the Feast of Annunciation, traditionally understood of the date of Jesus' conception. So again, same idea. Thus, Jesus was understood to have been conceived and crucified on the same day. So this was a tradition that was held. It's a theory that was held, I should say, that was the same day, um, nine months later, December 25th, the same date from when he was conceived, and um, that the birth of Christ and the death of Christ occurred on the same day. So based on this, Um, the treatise uh, dates Jesus' birth to the winter solstice. It's at that same period of time. Now, interestingly enough, that same idea appears in Augustine's um, pamphlet on on the Trinity. You can find that there as well. It also explicitly appears, interestingly enough, in an anonymous Christian treatise, so we, we don't know who wrote this, But it came from North Africa. Now, that may seem seem weird to you, but actually a lot of Christian writing came out of that area of the world at that time. And the uh, treatise was called On Solstices and Equinoxes. And it says, Therefore, our Lord was conceived on the 8th of the kalends in April, the month of March 25th, which is the day of the passion of the Lord and of his conception. For on that day he was conceived, on that day he suffered." So overall, if you look at it, you can see there's a lot of evidence that the date of December 25th was celebrated before Saturnalia ever came along. So praise God. I don't know about you, but my joy has been restored this Christmas. I'm excited about that. Now, does that mean that December 25th is the correct date that Jesus was born? Well, unfortunately, again, I have to say to you, no, not necessarily. Not necessarily. But I think that from the past maybe 20, 25 years of teaching, we have a lot more evidence that says it could be that date or close to that date, uh, as opposed to many of the other traditional dates um, that have been given. But we don't know for sure. And there's another interesting theory. And that theory is that Jesus was born during the Feast of Tabernacles. And I don't want to go into all uh, the different thoughts and ideas there. But one of the ideas was um, that's why Bethlehem would have been so crowded and there was no room at the inn for Jesus um, at that time because it was during a feast. And during the feast times, um, you know, Jerusalem was overcrowded and people uh, came from uh, faraway places and stayed as nearby as they could get. And, And that has credence to it. But you have to understand, Bethlehem is such a small village that it would not take a lot to fill it up. So that's not necessarily um, a major uh, evidence for it. But some of the other evidence um, for it, and I'm gonna read um, from Dr. David Reagan, who is um, well known for his um, end times theology, but also for um, studying this area. And Dr. David Reagan says this, and I think others have followed this or actually brought this up even maybe before him. So again, follow me here. According to Luke 1, 24 through 26, Mary conceived Jesus in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John the Baptist. And we we know that for sure. This means that Jesus was born 15 months after the angel Gabriel appeared to Elizabeth's husband. You guys remember that part of the story, right? Uh, Zacharias. And of course, um, he couldn't talk for a while. Um, So, Uh, he was informed that his wife was going to bear a child and he kind of laughed at that. And so he wasn't able to speak for a while. Now, according to Luke 1.5, Zacharias was a priest of the division of Abijah. So again, this is factual information we know from the Bible. Zacharias is a priest of the division of Abijah. Luke 1.8 says that Gabriel appeared to Zacharias while he was serving as a priest in the temple. So here's some good information here. But there's going to have to be some deduction after that. So we know from the Talmud and other sources that the division of Abijah, they, they had the priests in divisions and they served in different quadrants of time. Okay, so we know from the Talmud um, that the division of Abijah in particular served as priests during the second, now get this, the second half of the fourth month of the Jewish religious calendar. Now that would have put his service In late June, um, and the Jewish religious calendar begins in March with Passover, and that's why. So late June, uh, somewhere in late June would have been the time that he was serving. So 15 months later would place the birth of Jesus in the seventh month of the Jewish calendar. And that would be in the fall of the year, either late September or early October. And that is the time of the Feast of Booths or the Feast of Tabernacles. So very interesting and very compelling evidence for a time earlier than December 25th. And some people have bought lock, stock, and barrel into that, and and I can see why. It's good, solid evidence that we have. But Dr. Reagan, being a very fair uh, Bible scholar, also states this. He says, since those time periods are approximate... It could be in October, but later is still a possibility. All right. Now, this is not from him. This is from me. You you have to understand this. What does approximate mean? Well, it means there could be at least a two-week and maybe even a little more difference in the time that Zachariah served. These were not exact time periods. Okay. Then there's one fact that we all know, and that is our baby's always born in exactly nine months. In fact, I would say it's probably hard-pressed to find one that's born exactly in nine months. So given the fact that there is a couple of weeks or maybe three weeks um, possibility difference in the time served, and let's say uh, Mary was a little late. I mean, she had to take a nice little trip, right? So maybe she was a little late. So you could add anywhere from four to six weeks and be getting much closer to the December 25th time. So again, and remember that Steinman, again, who did this, these volumes of work on this said that the date was late 3 or early 2 BC. Why is that important? Well, when's late in the year? And when's early in the year? Well, the latest month in the year is what? It's December, right? What's the earliest month in the year? January. I find this very fascinating that the Western church recognized December 25th as the date of Jesus's birth, but the Eastern church has celebrated it on January 6th, some on January 7th. Late three, early two. Isn't that interesting? Now, it should be noted that there is a major objection to this winter time period Um, being the time Jesus was born. What is that one? Well, it's commonly said that wintertime in Jerusalem is cold and I I was going to grab a picture of it, but I didn't. There is a picture of the wailing wall and you know, down on the bottom, it's filled with snow. Now, I don't know exactly what time that picture was taken. It could have been in January or February. I have no idea. But it does snow and it gets very cold. And so the objection is, look, shepherds did not take the sheep out during that cold winter period of time. And we know by the picture we had up there earlier, the shepherds were there and they were tending their flocks. And Bible tells us that, right? Well, in the Jewish Mishnah, there's a passage which states that some sheep were kept outside in the fields on be- in Bethlehem all year round. And those sheep in particular were to be used for sacrifice in the temple at Jerusalem. But even more than that, if you were to visit Bethlehem in the winter now, you would see sheep outside in the winter time. So in ancient times, sheep were kept outside in the winter time, and even to this day that happens. So once again, that major objection is really not all um, that valid. So once again, you know th- th- this idea of it couldn't happen in the winter. So December twenty-fifth is out, and that was just stolen from Saturnalia. I think it's important to understand one thing about that. And the more I've researched it, um, my personal belief in this is good Christian scholars want to be honest. And if there is truth to that, they want people to know that. But you have to remember that uh, during that same period of time where this was being taught, it was because there was a push by atheists to get rid of Christmas. Are they still doing that? Okay. This has been going on since the 1960s and 70s, guys. And so if you can destroy the idea and say, look, you can't trust the Bible. You can't trust Christians. You know, that date has nothing to do it. It's a pagan celebration that they stole and and all of that. Then that promotes their agenda. And it's been highly promoted. But they're trying to do it in, in, in a way that says, you can't even trust that Jesus is Jesus was born at all, that he even existed uh, because the Bible is untrustworthy. And that, of course, is ludicrous. I recommend that they all read Don Stewart's books and they'll find that out. Okay, question number three, and this is a big one. Did the earliest earliest church, I say the earliest because it's important to distinguish the earliest church from those who would say they are the early church. I'm talking about the church immediately after Jesus's death because that's when the church was born. Did they celebrate Jesus's birthday? And I have to say honestly to you, only the first one, (laughs) the original. I often wonder why we don't call, you know, our birthday, you know, year zero, because I mean, that's our original birthday, right? So um, the first one was celebrated. And we see, you know, in the Bible in, in certain ways that it that it was. But from the New Testament or other historical documents from that time period, we don't really see any uh, evidence of a kind of celebration, at least, that we would call a birthday celebration. Something set apart, special, um, whatever that, that they might do for that concerning the birth of Jesus. Now, that could be concerning. I and mean, we would have to go, well, well why not? I mean, if, if they didn't, should we? And, and, and those questions come up. Those are legitimate. So the, the question is, well, why not? Why wasn't Jesus' birth celebrated? It's, it's I mean, could there be any more huge event? We have the two huge events that mark everything about mankind. That's Jesus' birth and then his death and resurrection. The two biggest events in world history. So why do we not see evidence of that in the New Testament or uh, in historical writings? Well, it's most likely because in the Jewish culture, birthdays were not celebrated at all. Two Jewish authors recently wrote this, the Encyclopedia Judaica could not be more blunt. The celebration of birthdays is unknown in traditional Jewish ritual. In fact, it says the only birthday party mentioned in the Bible is for Pharaoh in Genesis forty twenty. Now that's kind of important because later on you'll see that Christians got away from celebrating the birth of Christ, and that's one of the things they pointed to. Only sinners celebrated their birthdays. Of course, that's not completely true, because in Jewish tradition, we know that there is one birthday for a male and one for a female that is widely celebrated, correct? That's the bar mitzvah for a male and the bat mitzvah for a female. So they do celebrate a birthday, but it's not the original birthday. It's that Bar mitzvah, bat mitzvah. Their belief was it was how one's life was lived that was much more important than the day one was born. And I think you know, studying the Bible, that the Jews focused their celebrations on God-ordained memorials, such as Passover and such as tabernacles and things that God ordained celebrations and feasts for. That was their focus, in their culture. And I think, um, well done for them. So they really didn't celebrate. Well, what about then the Gentile church? Well, it's interesting again, and this was something I really didn't know until I did this particular study, was that the Romans at that time and the Greeks at that time didn't make big deals out of birthdays either. Isn't that interesting? So you have a culture into which Jesus came into Where birthdays were not celebrated, not like we do today. I don't know about you guys, but I know in my family, birthdays are big deals. We make a lot out of birthdays. And um, some of you have that same tradition and maybe other things you don't celebrate as much. But during this time period, it certainly was not an important thing to celebrate one's birthday. So it makes common sense that we don't see this happening or it be spoken about birthday celebrations in the Bible. So then what happened to where um, this began to change? Well, again, I think that the announcement in 336 of uh, Natalis Christi was probably important in terms of a change in thought towards celebration of that particular day. We might really call it instead of Christmas, by the way, uh, Nativity Day. Um, We could call it Incarnation Day. And it might even be a a better way to look at it. But it seems like the early anniversaries of Natalis Christley were mostly about the actual Mass service. Now, I said I explained this to you. You've got to remember, and again, for you Catholics, you know more than I do about this. I have been to some Catholic Masses. I actually sang in a Catholic wedding, and I had to stand for two hours for the Mass before I even sang, so I almost passed out before I did the song. Um, But you know that the Mass is all about leading to the Eucharist, which really, does that celebrate the birth of Christ? What does it celebrate? The death. death. Isn't that interesting? So most of the early celebration was really leading to the Eucharist and the death of Christ, but they were recognizing the birth of Christ on that day. And, of course, in the modern Catholic Church, and I thought I knew that, but I checked with my wife, who grew up Catholic as well, and said, yes, absolutely. If you go to midnight mass in a Catholic service, they're going to have all these, uh, the candle lighting. And it is spoken about recognizing that Jesus is the what light of the world and that we're to shine our light. And you know, when you do, and we've done this here once, it wasn't all that successful. We may try it again, but we did that at our Christmas Eve service and lighting of the candle. Why? Because Jesus said, we're the light of the world as well. We're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So, um, so on that particular day, and I don't know, we, I couldn't find when did that really become, you know, a, a big part of the mass on that day. I have no information on that. Maybe some of you former Catholics do. But over the next few hundred years, some of the different traditions, oh my gosh, I'm running out of time here. Some of the different traditions started, and one was gift-giving. Now, was some of that influenced by Saturnalia? The honest answer to that is probably yes. Probably some of the thought around that came from from pagan traditions. However, does that make it a bad thing? Not necessarily. But the truth is, it really didn't become popular because of that. Um, Let's remember that gift-giving was first introduced by the Magi giving gifts to Jesus. So we get that idea there. Now, according to an article in Christianity Today from 2007, it's confirmed by other sources that I read, um, Christians in the 13th century began adding uh, to this Christmas celebration carols, the Christmas carols, and even some that we sing today. Uh, Then, over the years, exchanges of gifts really didn't become connected with the old Saturnalia. It became connected with the name of St. Nicholas. And some of you have already done some study on that. He was a real person, but again, legend built up around him. He was uh, in, in the fourth century in Lycia, which is one of the provinces of Asia, interestingly enough. And he was a charitable man, and the whole idea was that, you know, the modern Santa Claus, he took gifts and he threw them into homes. And so that gift-giving uh, tradition really um, began to be popular from that. What about the Christmas tree? We've heard that was part of the pagan tradition as well. Well, actually, it was most likely brought into the picture in the 8th century by an English missionary named St. Boniface, and he was the apostle to Germany. And that's where the Christmas tree really began to, I was going to say get rooted, but I guess that was a pun. Um, But that's where it began. In fact, there's actually a tradition that Luther began the practice of decorating the Christmas tree by using candles to represent the stars. Um, So that's where we, we get that. Um, one of the other questions is, well, then how did we get to the celebration that we have today? Well, it's interesting if we put the next couple slides up here, Terry, when the Puritans arrived in the new world, they actually forbade the celebration of Christmas, believing it was too connected to pagan practices. So you see up here, and I don't know if that's supposed to be William Bradford, but he actually forbade the practice of it. And you see him here with his finger here going, no, 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 none of this celebration stuff. Now that may be because they, they celebrated in the pub there, I'm not sure. Um, but do you have the one there that actually has the decree? Here's a decree. Public notice, the observation of Christmas having been deemed a sacrilege, the exchanging of gifts and greetings, um, dressing in fine clothing, um, and so forth, satanical practice, forbidden. Isn't that interesting? Um, but outside of the New England states, that was not the case, and practices varied during the time of the Revolutionary War. In an article called "Christmas in the 17th and 18th Centuries," I found—I'm going to go through this a little quickly. Uh, seven, uh, 1749, we find that the Quakers didn't regard this day any more remarkable than other days. Stores were open. There was no more baking of bread, et cetera, et cetera. So the Quakers didn't think much of it. Now, at first, the Presbyterians didn't care much for celebrating Christmas either, but you'll love this. But when they saw most of their members going to the Anglican church on that day, they also decided to start having services. (laughs) A little competition there. And uh, we have that next slide there. So here we are arriving for church service, Christmas Day, 1783. 1783. So Christmas was celebrated during that time in many of the places. Um, Mostly the southern colonies, but one exception was the Dutch in New York who celebrated um, Christmas with religious services. So those reformers, they got some stuff right. Um, I I don't want to get into all of this because it's going to take a little too long, but different types of some of the traditions we have today, the decorating, garland, things like that, uh, began to get popular during this time. Um, But I would say this, perhaps no one has influenced the modern-day notions of Christmas more than the British author Charles Dickens. Now, there's a movie out this year called The Man Who Invented Christmas. And what it's about, from what I understand, is it shows how Dickens used real people to inspire his famous novelette. In that uh, famous novelette, A Christmas Carol, written in 1843 in Victorian England, um, it, it became one of the most popular works in history. And of course, you know the story of Scrooge and, uh, and his, I wanna say in a sense, redemption, right? It's a redemptive story. It's, it's really got some biblical principles in it, one of reconciliation, of forgiveness, um, and for loving and for caring for people uh, lower than yourself. That's all very, very biblical. And I would have to say that I think he had as much effect on the modern-day traditions that we have as as anyone did. Now, many of the current traditions that we have um, actually started during the Civil War era, but the most important thing is that Christmas was not an official holiday in the United States until 1870, and that was done by President Ulysses S. Grant. 1870, but it's been an official holiday um, ever since. And many Americans observed the holiday during those times as as a way to find comfort because remember during all of war times uh, and, and that winter time and the thought of Christmas and family um, that, that Charles Dickens uh, brought, when you, when you came to war times, that wasn't there. And so it became a very, very important time for people to remember how important their family is and how they loved um, their ones that were gone and actually serving their country away from Christmas. Um, I have a whole story here. I'm only going to just sum it up. A couple of tremendous things happened on Christmas Day. I don't know how many of you know. Does anybody know what happened on Christmas Day, 1776? You historians out there? Washington crossed the Delaware. Thank you. I knew Kirk knew it. <laughs> and he could probably tell you more about it than I can. Washington crossed the Delaware on Christmas Day, 1776. And Pastor Michael, you have a, a portrait in your office. I was going to put that one up here of him kneeling in prayer and, and it's thought that that was the time that he did that. Before that all took place, that he kneeled in prayer um, for that. But there was another tremendous time in 1914 in World War I. I don't know if you know, know this, but there was a spontaneous Christmas Eve, Christmas Day truce that happened between the Germans and, of course, the Allied forces where they came together and actually sang songs. They laid down their weapons and celebrated Christmas together, enemies that were slaughtering each other. Quite interesting. Now, beyond that, of course, in today's celebration of Christmas, we have several things that have influenced them. Today, we have movies and music for numbers and numbers of years that influence how people celebrate Christmas, how they think about Christmas Day. And, um, you know, I, I think there's, there's good and in, in not so good in that. But um, it definitely has influenced the way that we think about Christmas. So the last question that we want to get to, and then we're going to give you guys time to ask questions. And I don't know if I have the answers or not. And that question is, should the church celebrate Christmas today? You know, if we don't see any mention of it in the Bible um, or in the early church, the very early church, we would have to look at it and say, is it something that we should do? And I think that's a very legitimate question, by the way. I really do. We should ask that question. But you know what? We do lots of things that the early Christians didn't do. Um, and it doesn't make them wrong. Our church services are really quite different than probably the very first church services were. They were smaller. They were uh, participatory in a very strong way. And yet as churches grew, then that happened less and less. Those, those things changed. None of them were mandated. So there's no mandate not to celebrate in the Bible. And there's no mandate to. So then how do we make that decision? I think Colossians 2, 16 and 17 is our answer. Paul said, let no one judge you in food or drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or sabbaths, which are a shadow of things to come, but the substance is of Christ. So it's a matter of conscience. But I think it's interesting the substance is of Christ. And at least when we look at Christmas, in, in in our control, whatever we have control over, we can make it all about Christ, can we not? But it's a matter of conscience. And if you choose not to celebrate, maybe you've still, um, you know, are sold on too much pagan. And look at today, there's all kinds of things wrong. We see the commercialism. We, you know, we see, um, I mean, look at some of these retail stores. would go out of business if it wasn't for Christmas. And we can look at all that and say, I just, I don't like it. I don't want to be involved in it. You know, that's okay. If your conscience convicts you to not celebrate, then I would say don't celebrate. Don't go against your conscience. The Bible teaches that. But if you don't celebrate, please don't ba humbug and scrooge the people that do, okay? And conversely, if you do celebrate, don't think of someone as less spiritual because they've chosen not to. Um, it's a matter of each person's conscience. So I have just some final thoughts that I came up with on those who do celebrate, and I think that most of us here do. I think you can see it Living Truth that we do. Take a look at the stage. Um, one is, and Pastor Michael mentioned already, recognize that it's a time when people who do not normally even consider God are more open than they are the rest of the year. Keep that in mind. Many people are lonely and hurting and just looking for answers to the despair in their lives during this time. And we need to remember that you and I have the answer for them. And we need to look for opportunities to share. Number two, Be careful how you celebrate. Jesus told us we're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Don't lose your witness by displaying ungodly behavior during the Christmas season. Now, if you need me to get more specific, because some people, you gotta spell it out to them, don't get drunk at a Christmas party, okay? You're gonna lose your witness. But it's way more than that. Don't be rude just because you're last in line in in, the 100 at Kohl's. And you want to get home and eat dinner. Okay? That's easy for us to happen in the hustle and bustle, isn't it? We become different different people sometimes. And hey, it's great to go into the retail stores and say, Merry Christmas. But if you get back a happy holidays, don't go on a Facebook rant about how there's a war on Christmas. Okay? Just look. If it's a non-Christian, that's what it is to them doesn't mean what it is to you. So be kind, be everything it tells us to be in Galatians 5, by the power of the Spirit in your life during Christmas time, and don't lose your witness. Now look, even though our culture has made it more about Santa Claus and winter wonderland and other things like that, that's not necessarily all bad. And we can handle it. Can't you handle that and the fact that it's really about Jesus too? I think you can so, so don't spoil everybody else's who celebrates in a different way. I really think that some of the things that we look at Christmas that aren't spelled out necessarily biblically, like spending time with your family, sipping hot chocolate by a, a fire, which we have on every night in my house, loving one another and giving gifts are certainly biblical things to do. Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. Now I have one final word of warning Don't worship your tree, okay? So if you worship your tree, then we're gonna say, yes, you are celebrating Saturnalia. So decorate your tree all up, but please don't get on your knees before your tree. And I guess you can sing, oh, Christmas tree, oh, Christmas tree, but don't mean it in your heart, I don't know. (laughs) And I would say in a positive way, if you haven't already, start some Christmas traditions that emphasize the celebration of the birth of our Lord and Savior, If you haven't done that already, start some. Um, Just uh, last night in in our home, and and this is my wife and my daughter, they're great at this, and and my son-in-law, Michael, led this last night. We do Advent every either Saturday or Sunday for the weeks leading up, and they teach their children um, all the story of the birth of Christ. It's a great tradition. Start a tradition like that. Find something to where you know you're gonna spend time emphasizing that this holiday to us is all about our Lord and Savior coming into the world to eventually die and save us from our sin. And as you're thinking about that, remember what happened on the very first Christmas night. The angels praised God when Jesus was born. And soon after, when the Magi finally showed up, we don't know exactly how long, they bowed down and worshiped and offered gifts to Jesus. And let's keep those in mind as we Uh, Look at how we're going to celebrate Christmas. Okay?